morning, everybody. It's great to see you. I'm glad you could be here today. I consider it a real honor and a privilege to be able to talk to you on a weekly basis, and I just want y'all to know that. I, uh, I feel very fortunate to be able to speak to such a wonderful group of people, and I'm glad that y'all keep coming back. That kind of amazes me, that y'all keep coming back. I just I feel like that's uh, it's kind of weird. There's something wrong with some of you. But um, anyway, I'm glad that y'all are all here today, and I want y'all to know how honored we are that you would make next a part of your Sunday experience, and uh, we want what you hear today to bless you, but also to grow you. So I hope you hope you're blessed today, but I hope you feel challenged a little bit today as well. Podcasters, if you're out there listening in, whatever you are and whatever you're doing, we want to appreciate you for listening in today. Today we are going to finish this series that we've been in called Just Do Something that comes from the book Just Do Something, A Liberating Approach to Finding God's Will, written by Kevin DeYoung. And last week we talked about walking the way of wisdom. And we used as our scripture text Proverbs chapter 2. And from Proverbs chapter 2 we pulled some practical steps for walking the path of wisdom we know that we should search the scriptures and that we should develop a taste for wisdom. We should be able to tell the difference between craft macaroni and cheese and great value brand cheesy elbows. I'm not saying one or the other is better. I'm just saying we should be able to discern the difference. That's the type of taste that we should develop for wisdom. And how do we do that? Well, we do that by reading, studying, and meditating on Scripture. Because if you do that, then you won't need a crystal ball for every crisis that comes along into your life. Uh, you know, we become what we behold. Our strongest thoughts direct our life's direction. So if we behold His glory in Scripture, then we will be transformed and that's kind of God's ultimate goal for your life anyway. So we search the scriptures and then we also seek wise counsel. And I told you last week that your greatest ability is your teachability. You, you make better decisions whenever you are willing to listen to other people and consult with people that are God-fearing and scripture-wise. So talk to the people that God has strategically placed around you and get some feedback from people that know God and understand scripture a little bit and then prayer prayer is the next practical step in walking the way of wisdom you know God wants you to make good decisions he's not trying to hide good decisions from you so pray for illumination in the scriptures pray for wisdom pray for things that you know are already God's will pray for right motives pray for a good attitude 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 and then pray that he will help you to make decisions that will make you more like him. Pray that he will help you to make decisions that will bring him glory. And then after you've done that, after you've studied the scriptures, and after you've sought counsel, and after you've prayed, then make a decision. Make a decision. Um, and in that regard, uh, there was a video that just kind of popped up in one of my devotions this morning that fits so perfectly with uh, this idea, so uh, we're gonna we're gonna let this guy talk to you for just a few minutes about how Alexa taught him a lot about God's will. Go ahead. Somebody sent us an Amazon Echo recently. It's voice activated because sometimes you can't be bothered to have to use your thumbs. So I like. 
it with Alexa, where I say her name, I say Alexa, and she lights up, kind of like Holly, when I say her name. What? She's nodding. And I can tell her what song to play, what task to perform. Alexa, and she lights up, and she answers me. She hears me when I call. She's like the Lord. Well, yesterday I walked in and Graham was doing his homework. But I want you to see something. I caught it on my video camera because I've never seen anything like this before. And 88 minus A equals five. Hmm. Alexa, what is 19 plus nine? The sum of 19 and nine is 28. Are you kidding me right now? Are you kidding me? What? Are you kidding me right now? About what? How are you doing your homework? I am checking. Alexa. Checking. Checking. Touch your neighbor and say, I'm checking. I'm checking. I'm checking. I already did the work. I'm just checking. And see, I have a feeling when, when David inquired of the Lord, where do I go next? He was already on his way. He was just checking. Because when you walk in God's ways, you will know God's will. All you gotta do is check. Jesus said, if I leave, I'll send you the spirit of truth and he'll show you the ways to walk in. I'm checking. I'm checking. I'm checking. See, I don't have to ask God about every decision. I don't have to stress about God's will. When I live my life in God's ways, I have the confidence that my steps are ordered. Where's my organ? My steps are ordered by the Lord because I delight in his way. Why aren't y'all on your feet? I'm trying to tell you, you don't have to worry so much about what. When you get your why right, when you walk in the ways of God, you submit to him because God's strategy is submission oh yeah God's strategy is submission that's good huh really that's a word that's a word I found it interesting that he said, whenever I'm walking in God's way, then I don't have to stress about every decision. I don't have to stress about God's will whenever I'm walking his way. And um, knowing what we've been talking about over the past several weeks in here, I was just like, wow, thank you, Jesus, for just dropping that on us today. So today, what we want to do is put the way of wisdom from last week into practice with a couple of probably the biggest decisions that we feel like we have to face in our lives and those things are work and wedlock so we're going to talk about work and wedlock today now I know who I'm talking to most of y'all in here are married or have been married or want to get married so uh, you know work and wedlock it, it fits with us and, and all of us in here work in some way shape or form um, wisdom sounds good that sounds good but how does it work how does it look in practice so we'll talk about how it looks in practice in relation to these two ideas work and wedlock and then we'll wrap up today with offering you a final word the end of the matter and then we'll be done with just do something 
And that means that we'll be moving on to something else next week. And I hope you can be here. I think that you'll enjoy it. Let's uh, read a little bit of scripture this morning. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And we'll look at a couple of verses there. And then we'll go to 1 Timothy. So 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 31 through 33 says this. So whether you eat or drink, now context matters because Paul's been talking to him about, hey, listen, you can eat anything you want to eat. If it's offered up to an idol and that doesn't bother you, then eat it. But if it bothers somebody else that you're close to, then don't eat it because you don't want to do something that's going to offend somebody else. You can find something else to eat. You don't have to eat the stuff that's been offered to idols just to prove how much liberty you have. Okay, so that's the context into which he says this. So he says, so whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, so this is the catch-all that gets to us, right? Or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Don't give offense to Jews or Gentiles or the church of God. Watch this. I, too, now this is Paul. I, too, try to please everyone in everything that I do. So you don't have a license to just be a jerk and say, well, I'm going to do what I want to do, and they can just get over it. Because this is Paul saying, no, I, I try to please people. I don't just do what is best for me. I do what is best for others so many can be saved. 1 Timothy 6, yeah, I didn't like that. 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 8 says this, Yet true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. That's great wealth in and of itself. True godliness with contentment. After all, we brought nothing with us whenever we came into the world, and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. So if we have enough food and clothing, then let us be content. Let's talk about work. And I'm uniquely qualified to talk about this one currently. And um, for those of you who don't know, I'm unemployed at the moment. We're hoping that situation changes uh, relatively quickly. My wife said amen. Um, but I think... I followed the way of wisdom. I'm always suspect of my own motives, but I think I've followed the way of wisdom um, in the way that I approached my recent retirement from education. And I think that what I did was at least somewhat wise, even if the timing could have been better. But a good thing for all of us in here is that we don't have to just rely on me. We have Kevin DeYoung and Scripture to fall back on, um, not just Jason. And Kevin says... Whether you're facing a choice between two jobs or considering a career change or just beginning to explore your career possibilities, how does godly wisdom help you make decisions? So step one is this. This might sound a little familiar. Search the scriptures. Remember, you're not looking for a verse that says, takest thou the career position at thine nearest piggly wiggly, the one wherein thou fathers did work, takest thou that position. There's not a scripture in there that, that says that, and thank you, Jesus. The Bible's not a case book, remember? We talked about this last week. Instead, what you're looking for are principles. You're looking for scriptural principles. So, for starters, you want to know whether or not the job is righteous. Is, is it a righteous job? Is, is that job going to make you more holy or less holy? That right there, in and of itself, should answer your question. Because, you know, assuming you're not applying for a position as a hitman for the mob, or a photographer for Playboy, right, or a card dealer at the local casino, most jobs can be God-glorifying. Uh, but not all are, so do ask the question. Think about biblical principles. First Timothy 5 and 8 says this, 
But those who don't care for their relatives, especially those in their own household, have denied the true faith. Such people are worse than unbelievers. Some jobs may put you or your family at risk or discomfort or, or give you uh, limited possibilities. Missionaries, for example, uh, is not always a bad thing, but you do need to be able to provide for your family. So consider the biblical principle. With this, will this job allow me to be able to provide for my family? Consider the biblical principle. Will this job allow me to be more like Jesus? Consider churches available in the area. Uh, you know, the salary and benefits may exceed your wildest dreams, but if there's not a good church in the area uh, that will keep you in community and feed your soul, then it's kind of hard for me to imagine how God's will for your sanctification is being served by you taking that job. I'm teaching really good. Y'all just aren't saying anything. If there's not a church where you can be ministered to and where you can minister to others, then church planning better be your major career calling. Search the scriptures. Consider biblical principles. You know, whenever I was in the classroom, uh, y'all are going to find this hard to believe, but sometimes I, I, I had kids that were more interested in talking to each other than they were in listening to what I was saying. And uh, I would do my best to give them little hints along the way, uh, but sometimes, no matter what hint I gave them, they still didn't get it, and they would just keep talking to each other instead of listening to me. And so sometimes I would just be very, um, very candid with them, and I would tell them, hey, whenever it comes to English, I'm smarter than you are. You need to listen to what I have to say. And that generally got their attention. Now, chemistry, algebra, you got me. You're smarter than me. But right now, you're in English, and I know more than you know, so listen to what I've got to say. Uh, until you're willing to make that kind of commitment, and, and uh, well, here's the application point. Whenever it comes to wisdom, God's smarter than you, okay? And, and he understands the implications of the decision a whole lot better than you do. And so you've got to decide, God, even whenever I don't understand it, even whenever it doesn't make sense to me, even whenever I don't like it, uh, even whenever it's not popular, then I'm going to do what your word says. Remember, his strategy is submission. I'm going to do what your word says regardless of what I think. So whenever you're ready to make that commitment, then you're ready for wisdom. But if you're not ready to make that commitment, you might as well close your Bible and just go on and do what you're going to do. You just go be you. If you're not going to make that commitment that says, God, I'm going to do what you think instead of what I think. Because without that commitment, you're not ready to walk the way of wisdom. You can only be wise by following God's standard. I, I thought that was pretty good. You can only be wise by following God's standard, not yours. That's pretty good teaching. All right, step two. So search the scriptures. Step two, seek wise counsel. Do these sound familiar? We're taking these and applying them to the big decision of work. But search the scriptures, seek wise counsel. Talk to people that know you well. And know Jesus well, too. What skills and abilities do they see in you? Do you like kids? Do you have fun with kids? If not, then you probably don't need to be a kindergarten teacher. But ask your friends. Ask them, what are my gifts? Ask them, can you see me doing this? Listen to your friends, unless your friends are idiots. In that case, y'all know y'all have friends that you keep around because they're fun, but you, know, you don't want to listen to the wisdom they have. Because they don't have any. Okay, so, you know, you got to be selective. 
But listen to your friends. Listen to your parents. I know you're 40 years old. And you're grown. And you've got your own kids and your own mortgage. But you, you might need to listen to your parents. Listen to your teachers. Listen to your leaders. As we said last week, your greatest ability is your teachability. Be teachable. Be teachable. It may be that you're not very responsible. It may be that you're not particularly hardworking. And if you will ask somebody, they may actually give you honest and honoring feedback and tell you, you're really great at this, but you kind of suck at this. You may, need, uh, you may be one of those people that needs frequent change in order to stay energized and be creative and stay fresh. Or maybe you need structure and routine to keep you centered and focused and productive. Whatever the case, what I'm asking you to do is just listen. Listen to somebody. If your friends tell you, you're generally quiet and pretty introverted. Car salesman is probably not the job for you. But get feedback from people who are godly and know Scripture. And listen to what they have to say. That's how you get wise counsel. Step three is to pray. To pray. We're talking about the decision of work, but pray. Jason, you said that we shouldn't pray for God to show us what to do. We shouldn't pray for God to tell us what to do. So what do we pray? Well, here's what you pray. Pray for yourself that you will be scriptural in your approach to work. Pray for yourself that God will make you honest in your interview. Pray for yourself that you will be honest on your resume. We got a, we got a resume from uh, somebody at, at, that... Uh, we got a resume at Live Oak High School uh, one day, and I knew this person. And whenever I saw this person's resume, I was blown away. This person doesn't need to be a teacher. They should be world leader based on everything that they had done that I'd, I had no idea that this person had done all these things and had all this incredible experience. Hmm. Be honest in your interviews. Be honest on your resume. Pray that you will see a true picture of yourself in that position. Pray that your employer will see a true picture of you in that position. Pray that your heart will be right and not motivated by pride or motivated by fear. Pray that you make a decision based on faith, hope, and love and not a decision based on greed or selfish, selfish ambition. Pray that you will not make a decision based on the lust of your eyes, the lust of your flesh, and the pride of life. But instead, pray that you will follow God's will of desire and pray that He will help you figure out His will of direction. Here's a really good one. Pray for your potential employer that they will have wisdom. Wisdom to know if and how you fit into their organization. So that's how you pray whenever it comes to work. Step four, make a decision. Don't over-spiritualize. You know, you can serve God in a thousand different jobs. We need missionaries, we need evangelists, we need pastors, but we also need entrepreneurs who are willing to create jobs. Uh, we also need people who are just willing to get up and go to work uh, and be a living, breathing, walking, talking, working example of Jesus. So you can honor God as a 
teacher, as a mother, as a doctor, as a loan officer, as an equipment operator, as a lineman, as a social worker, a fast a butcher, baker, candlestick maker. You can honor God in doing all of those things and everything in between. There's literally thousands of things that you can do to work and honor God. Just don't be lazy. Don't be lazy. Proverbs 6 Verses 6 through 11 says this, take a, les- take a lesson from the ants, you lazy bones. This is the New Living Translation. Take a lesson from the ants, you lazy bones. Learn from their ways and become wise. Though they have no prince or governor or ruler to make them work, they labor hard all summer gathering food for the winter. But you, lazy bones, how long will you sleep? When will you wake up? A little extra sleep, a little more slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Then poverty will pounce on you like a bandit. Scarcity will attack you like an armed robber. Don't be lazy and do what you do to the glory of God. God calls his people to a lot of different things. And sometimes you feel a sense of calling to your job. And sometimes you don't. Sometimes you just work. Sometimes you just work. And I'm not arguing for complacency or bitterness or resentment in your present circumstances, but it is called work for a reason. And if you, I'm speaking from experience here, if you hate it or it hates you, then for everyone's sake, change. Change your mindset or change jobs. But God doesn't get any glory at all from your bad attitude. Praise Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. Now, let's talk about getting hitched. Let's talk about marriage. I don't know if y'all realize this or not, but marriage and the ways that people go about it are changing in our society. Um, In 1965, the median age for men at their first marriage was 22.8 years old. And for women, it was 20.6 years. That was 1965. In 2002, the median age for men rose to 26.9, and for women, it rose to 25.3. Now, we're seeing this general trend in a delay in getting married in getting married. Longer lifespans, uh, drive and need for more education, transient lifestyles. I mean, we just, we move everywhere these days. Um, Greater discretionary income. And now the internet, if y'all have heard of that. But for a lot of reasons, uh, you know, there's just been a lot of changes and and reasons for delay in marriage. But for some Christians, uh, there's another delay factor, and that's searching for the will of God in marriage. And we think you know, what decision is more important in my life than picking a husband or, or a wife? Surely God wants to tell me who is the right guy and who is the right gal for me. And it sounds spiritual, but wisdom points us in a different direction. Y'all ready? Here it comes. It might sound familiar. First of all, step number one, search the scriptures. Now, the Bible is in a case book. It's not going to tell you who to marry, but it does tell you something about marriage. It tells you a lot of somethings about marriage. Actually, first of all, it tells you that marriage should be between one man and one woman. 
It does tell you that Christians should marry Christians. 1 Corinthians 7.39 It does tell us that we should not be unequally yoked. 2 Corinthians 6 and 14 It says some other things about marriage too, but let's move on. Um, I am not your pastor. Pastor Murph does all of our premarital counseling here at Grace Church. I do not. I have done absolutely zero. None. So take what I'm about to say with a grain of salt. But I would not advise a mature believer to marry a new convert. I would not advise an arch conservative to marry an arch liberal because you both need to be plowing in the same direction. Okay? Christians should also be circumspect and scriptural in their approach to marrying someone who has been divorced. And if you have questions about that issue, then I refer you to Pastor Murphy because he's the one that talks to you about that kind of stuff. But as with work, whenever it comes to wedlock, you're not looking for a scripture that says, Yea, I say unto thee, thou shalt not marry Bob, but instead thou shalt marry Joe. In the land that I will show thee, thou shalt marry him. That scripture is not in the Bible. But instead, you're looking for scriptural principles. Principles. Do they love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength? Are they devoted to God in prayer and in service and in their finances? Because what they do with their money is going to tell you a lot about where their priorities are. Ooh. Do they treat others with respect and give honor appropriately? How does he treat his mom? How does she treat her dad? Does their life show an alignment with scriptural principles? What, and if, they, if it does, then what's the evidence of those things? Because they can say a lot, but what does the evidence show? they say it and there's no evidence then you need to get back on match.com or whatever it is you're using I'm teaching really good <laughs> some people are probably thinking I wish I would have heard this step number two seek wise counsel we're still talking about marriage seek wise counsel do your friends think this marriage makes sense i mean your godly friends not your idiot friends that you keep around for fun but your godly friends that know jesus and know scripture do they think this marriage makes sense do they see you growing and flourishing whenever you're around him or around her or do they sense that you get moody and frustrated whenever you're around that person? Here's a great one. What do your parents think? Now, I know, I know some of you, I know some of your stories, you didn't have parents or you had idiot parents. I get that. And I know that sometimes even good parents object to good marriages for all of the wrong reasons. Sometimes that happens. But there's too many Hollywood movies and sitcoms that make parents out to be idiots and have, they have no idea about what a successful marriage looks like. But try this one. If your parents have been married longer than you've been alive, maybe you ought to listen to them about what it takes to have a successful marriage. 
And if that doesn't fit, if that scenario doesn't fit with your parents, then find some parents that that scenario does fit. Hey, you're not my mom or dad, but you've been married a really long time. How do you do it? And listen to what they have to say. And if they aren't excited about your girlfriend or your boyfriend, then maybe you ought to listen to what they have to say and consider it before you react emotionally to it. It's just a thought. Step number three, pray. Again, we aren't praying for God to show us the right one. Instead, we pray for pure motives. God, I don't want to get married just for lust. There you go. Or I don't want to get married just for money. He's successful and he'll take care of me. Or these days she's successful and she'll take care of me. Or I don't want to get married for fear of being single because this is the only person of the opposite sex who's ever shown any interest in me ever. And if I don't tie them down now, then they might figure out that I'm not so great after all and then go find somebody else and I'm going to be alone again forever. Again. Is that too honest? You're telling me people don't get married for that reason? Pray for pure motives. God, make sure my heart is right and that I'm not getting married out of spite. To spite an ex. An ex-boyfriend, ex-husband, ex-girlfriend, ex-wife. To show them that I really am desirable after all. Or to spite your parents. To show them that you really are independent and you really are grown up now and you can do what you want with whoever, however, whenever. Can I just go on record right now and say that those are two really horrible reasons to get married? Pray that God will keep you honest. Honest about who you are and what you want out of life. Because if you don't want children ever, that person should probably know that. And if you want to live in a house with 12 cats, that person should probably know that. Don't spring that on them later. Pray that God will help you know the other person for who he really is and who she really is. Pray that God will help you make a decision not based on your hormones. And that you won't avoid making a decision based on a fear of commitment. Finally, this is so good. Pray less that God would show you who is the right husband or wife for you and instead pray more to be the right husband or wife for that person that you think you sort of might kind of be in love with maybe. If everyone was praying to be the right spouse, it wouldn't matter so much who is the right spouse. So dump your list of 17 things that you think you need in a potential wife and instead make a list of 17 things that you need to be as a good husband. Boom. Again, because that's like the fourth one today. Step number four, make a decision. Now, I'm going to go on record again with saying this is either going to get me in trouble or it's going to come back to bite me later. So I'm saying it and I know it, but... Guys, if you like the girl, and you're both Christians, and your friends and family aren't alarmed, and she actually likes you back, you should probably get married. 
Now, there is nothing wrong with being single. It's not a disease in need of a cure. God can lead you to a lifetime of fruitful ministry as a single person. There's nothing wrong with being single. But, fellas, there is something wrong with waiting around for God to pluck a woman from your side. I mean, he did it for Adam, but he's not going to do it for you. It's not going to happen. Ladies, there's nothing wrong with you being single. But I question the wisdom of shopping until you find Adonis in flesh who checks off every box on your list. Because no matter, listen to me, no matter who you marry, it's going to be work. I know y'all think Julia is just the sweetest thing, but it is work living with that woman. And I know that y'all know I'm, I am just cool and easygoing. I'm not moody at all. I am just level-headed all of the time. But it's work. Hard work sometimes. So look, find somebody that you want to, if you want to get married, find somebody that you kind of like, get married and work at it, but stop waiting on the writing in the sky and the 17 green lights from God and the romantic lighting, lightning to hit. If you want to be single, fine, stay single. If you want to get married, do something about it. Take a chance. Take a risk. It might mean rejection, but it might not. But be the relational leader that God wants you to be. Be the person that you need. Hmm. Let me give a final word and an end of the matter. You know, Ecclesiastes, if you've never read the book of Ecclesiastes in one sitting, I encourage you to do it. It's a weird book. We don't take a lot of texts, scriptural texts from Ecclesiastes. We have those few passages that, that we'll quote every now and then, but that's really all you hear. It's a strange book, but it is more relevant than ever because too many of us are chasing after the wind, looking for satisfaction in work and looking for satisfaction in family and success. And those are all good things, but things that don't ultimately satisfy. And it would be bad enough, Lena, if we were just restless uh, you know, just kind of meandering through life, whatever, you know. And maybe a little bit cowardly sometimes. Ooh, I don't want to take that risk. But what we've done, we've made it worse because we have spiritualized restlessness and cowardice. And we make it sound like piety instead of calling it what it is, and it's really just passivity. We're way worse off than just living lives of vanity because our passion for God is often nothing more than a passion to have God make our search for vanity a successful one. And what we need, we need to hear the conclusion of the writer of Ecclesiastes because he said this in Ecclesiastes 12 and 13. He said, that is the whole story. Here now is my final conclusion. Fear God and obey His commands. For this is everyone's duty. That's the whole story. Here now is my final conclusion. This is the end of it all. Fear God. Obey His commands. For this is everyone's duty. 
If you're going to be anxious about one thing, and some of us are anxious about a lot of things, but if you're going to be anxious about one thing, be anxious about this, keeping his commandments. If we're going to fear something, and we all do, fear this, fear God, not the future. Fear God. Look, the will of God isn't uh, a special direction here, a secret code word there, a little bit of secret knowledge over here. God doesn't put us in a maze and turn out the lights and tell us, look, get out, good night, and good luck. He doesn't do that. In one sense, we trust in the will of God as His sovereign plan for our future. In another sense, we obey the will of God as His good word for our lives. But in no sense should we be scrambling around trying to turn to the right page in our personal choose-your-own-adventure novel, hoping that we've made the right choice out of fear that it's going to all blow up in our face and then we've got to start all over. God's will for your life and God's will for my life is much simpler, much harder, and much easier than that. It's simpler because there are no secrets that we must discover. It's harder because denying ourselves and living for others and obeying God's word is more difficult than taking a new job and moving to Canada. But it's also easier because, as Augustine said, God commands what he wills and grants what he commands. God commands what he wills and grants what he commands. In other words, God gives his children the will to walk in his ways, not by revealing a series of next steps that are cloaked in shadows and have to be decoded, but God gives his children the will to walk in his ways by giving us a heart that delights in his law. So the end of the matter, the final word is this. Live for God. Obey the scriptures. Think of others before yourself. Be holy. Love Jesus. And as you do those things, do whatever else you like. With whomever you like, wherever you like. And you'll be walking in the will of God. I've got a, um, I should have brought it this morning. I just thought about it. But um, I've got a coffee cup at home. That's my favorite coffee cup. Who else has a favorite coffee cup? It's the one you reach for. And uh, it's a Dave and Buster's mug. And I, I bought it whenever I went with Ethan on his eighth grade field trip. Fifth grade field trip. I've had that thing that long. Man, Ethan's getting old. And uh, I drink coffee from that, from that mug just about every morning. And uh, I sit there in my little green chair and I read through my devotions and I drink my coffee. And there's just a faint hint of a light brown stain around the, the, the edge of that coffee cup. And in the bottom... And I've scrubbed it. Like I've, I've gotten out the magic eraser and scrubbed, you know. But there's just a little bit of a tint, lady, that, that won't quite come out. Does anybody else have a cup or a mug like that? It just won't quite come out. That's the way wisdom works. 
Because that coffee cup didn't get that way overnight. It's been years of time with that coffee sitting in there and sometimes, honestly, a little bit of residue staying in the bottom until the next day. But it just it starts to take on the tint of that coffee just over time. That's going to be your life. You're going to start to take on the tint of wisdom by spending time. It's good stuff. Thank you, Kevin DeYoung. And I, I hope that you guys uh, will, will be here next week because we're going to piggyback off of this series into another book uh, about will and direction. Uh, we're going to start lo- looking at divine direction uh, next week. And I hope you can be here. Let's pray and we'll go. Lord, thank you for all of this. And I probably let my mouth overload my rear today. But that's okay. This is all good wisdom. Help us, Lord, to pray correctly and for right motives. Help us to search you and seek you out in Scripture and in counsel by the, through the people that you placed around us. Lord, and then help us to just make a decision. Lord, if we're living for you, if we are chasing after you and your holiness and allowing you to work the process of sanctification in our lives, we're going to be okay. Lord, your, uh, your strategy is submission. And so I just pray a prayer of submission over all of this group today. Lord, we submit ourselves to your will. Let your will be done, not mine, but yours. In Jesus' name, amen.